We're going to continue in our series. We just started last week about the kingdom of God. And we're, we're using the Luke parable, some of the Luke passages on the kingdom of God. Luke has this stretch from, from Luke 14 through, I think, like 19, 20. And we're going to be wrestling through those, through those verses for the next, up until Easter. And the idea is, is what is Luke trying to tell us? What is Luke trying to tell us that Jesus is saying about the kingdom of God? Remember last week we talked, at the beginning of Luke 14, Jesus came and, and the, the, all the gospel writers said together, this is the most important thing about Jesus, he's announcing that the kingdom of God has what? Arrived. It's come. It's here. And Jesus made that claim. The kingdom of God has arrived. With my arrival, so is the kingdom of God. And so we're going to explore what that looks like from a biblical perspective, like, what did it look like for the people that were hearing the stories, wrestling with the stories, trying to understand that Jesus Messiah was here, but also in a 21st century context for us as a church family, what does it look like for us? As we read these parables we know and we've seen before, what does it mean for us as we are part of the kingdom of God? So if you turn with me to Luke 15, that's where we're going to be today. We're going to look at seven verses. The next three weeks, we're going to be in Luke 15. We're going to, it's, it, it is the lost parables. The lost sheep, the lost coin, the prodigal son. All three parables or stories have a different perspective or emphasis. Jesus gives a different, like, kind of a, a viewpoint in. But they are in unison in their theme. And the, the unity is that when the lost thing is found, there's great rejoicing. So we're going to take each, each story and kind of, kind of uh, put it into our space and say, here's where we're going to look at it from. Here's what I think the challenge is for us. Maybe, maybe more selfishly, here's what was challenging to me, and then I'm going to give that to you, and hopefully we share in that challenge. Let's read the story together. Now, the tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told him this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there, is no, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. With these series of parables, we see that Luke, Luke is showing us the heart of the king. Remember last week I said the king has arrived. The king is here. Are we going to be part of his kingdom? The kingdom of God. Well, Luke is really, he's, he's taking the, the parable, the story that Jesus is teaching and saying, I need you, the people who are reading this letter, to look and see the heart of the king. What does the king say about those who are lost? So these parables, they have a clear structure. 
There was something that was lost in all three of them. Something that was lost. The lost something was sought after. Then that lost something was found. And then there was great rejoicing. But I think it's really important here to, to, to capture to capture the heart, I think, of what, what the king is trying to, to do in saying the lost people matter. Now, what was going on historically, contextually within the scriptures, is Jesus now is meeting with this large group of people, and there's people coming to be with him, to surround him, to, like, learn from him. He has said the kingdom of God has arrived, and that was a, a, a crazy statement to the first century Jew. And remember last week, again, I'm going to keep repeating back, last week we talked about how much it was going to cost to follow Jesus. He was saying, now there's a large group. It's not just following me around. Sure, you're all invited. You're all welcome. You're all here at the table. I want you to all be here, but I need you to count the cost of what it looks like to follow after me, to what it looks like to be my disciple. The cost of discipleship is heavy, and you need to weigh it. And I said last week, and I, again, that Jesus is actually criticizing the nation of Israel. He's criticizing the leadership. He's criticizing the direction that the shepherds, the Pharisees, are shepherding their people. And he's saying, you're doing it wrong. This is wrong. See, Jesus' heart was for the sinner. And this structure that's laid here is, is for us to get a picture in to the heart of the king looking at the sinner. Luke spends many, many words and of many verses referring to the relationship between Jesus and the sinners. He regularly shows what the elites feel in their frustration, displeasure, and questioning of these relationships. Luke is is trying to snapshot for us what it looks like to be outside of the inner circle, but to be sought after and to be loved so dearly by the Father that he would forsake his whole herd for us, the one, the outsider. See, sheep are the worst animals, right? They make great euros. (laughs) but they're dumb. And we know that as a biblical picture, we see all the way through that we're referred to as a sheep over and over and over and over and over again. Isaiah 53, 6 says, all sheep have gone astray. We're the sheep. We go astray. We're foolish. We're weak. We're the most defenseless creatures. We're unwise. We're lost. And most of the time, it's not by... by our, uh, our own selfish ambition, even though that it can happen that way, to where we're looking for a better pasture. But we're lost because we're dumb. And we go astray and we wander. We wander aimlessly. We are like the dog and up that says squirrel and runs off. What's that dog's name? Doug. We are the Doug of the world. We are distracted by everything flashy. And it's easy to drift. The sinner, the follower, the ones who need the shepherd are often described as sheep over and over and over through the scripture. 
Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 40 real quick. Isaiah 40. I know we're, we've been kind of in Isaiah a lot, but there's just so much good stuff to us. And here, let's get a picture. So let's get a picture of what the sheep and the shepherd's relationship should look like. And Isaiah sets it up a little bit for us, and it's clear through lots of the Old Testament, this relationship between the sheep and the shepherd. Isaiah 40, verse 11. Actually, let's go to, up to verse 10. Uh, let's go to 9 just because it's fun. <laughs> go on up to the high mountain, O Zion, herald of the good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of the good news. The king has arrived, right? The good news is here. Lift up, lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might. His arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He tends to his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. See, when the shepherd's not near and we don't hear his voice, the world becomes incredibly scary. It becomes in- There's pitfalls everywhere. When we cannot hear the shepherd's voice, we have struggles. Think about your own life. Go backwards. Do in your Rolodex of memories. And think about that time where you were lost the worst. How close were you to the shepherd? How close were you to the king? Think about it. Think about your history, your personal history. We all have stories, and if we could write them and lay them on the table here, they would look very familiar. Our proximity to the king was distant, and we fell away and wandered. The proximity to the shepherd is critical for the life of the sheep. It is critical for the follower of Jesus to be close to the king. That is why every single week, I try to get you to do something a little bit more to be close to the king because you don't get close to the king by showing up on a Sunday morning and sitting in this room and having this guy who looks like the Unabomber scream at you. It doesn't happen that way. It just doesn't. There is more proximity that has to happen day in and day out. You have to long to be close to the king, close to the shepherd. So we must have a relationship with him, but it can't end there. We need his voice, his touch, his protection. See, every soul is missed by the shepherd and is worth the stress, the struggle, the loss to find it. The moment that the shepherd discovers the lost sheep in Luke 15, he searches to find it. The king does not send for it like a king could do. Bring me my employees and go find my sheep. Nope. The king goes himself. See, Luke 15, these three stories display and tell the story of the 33-year life of Jesus Christ, the life, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. This is his mission, his purpose, to find, to search, to seek out each and every lost soul that exists on planet Earth. I find it fascinating here that, once again, that Luke continues to point this stuff out, and he's reminding us that the Pharisees, the elite, the, the leaders 
the leaders of the faith were grumbling every single time that Jesus was eating and dining with, with tax collectors and sinners. See, when we talked about the cost of discipleship last week, he was talking to the Pharisees, the scribes, tax collectors, sinners, to a large crowd and saying, this is the cost of following me. But who is still listening? The sinners and the tax collectors. They hear Jesus. They sense Jesus. They know that he has something for them, and he cares for them. So they're continually drawn into his presence, listening for his voice, understanding what he's trying to teach, what he's trying to share, trying to get close to the king. The sinner, the tax collector, these are the people that are drawing near to Jesus. These are the lost sheep. The Jewish leaders are still complaining about Jesus' associations. He's eating with sinners. It's gross to the elite. He can't have table fellowship with these people. Jesus clearly doesn't believe in the separatist mentality of the Pharisees and the scribes. He's interested in being a friend to the undesirables. Jesus' approach should be our approach if you're following along in your bulletin. That's the first bullet point. Jesus' approach should be our approach. As we look in and, and glean from the stories of the Gospels, and we watch Jesus interact and walk and talk and live with the people. His approach should be our approach. I'll try to open that up a little bit to give us maybe some things to actually grab a hold of, because it's easy to kind of say that, but it's hard to do that. So why the parable of the sheep? Why a shepherd sheep parable? Well, you had this Old Testament kind of picture. You had this kind of like champion of David who, who was brought out into, into, the, into the fame by being a shepherd and killing the giant. I mean, stories of old, right? So naturally, a sheep and the shepherd story would, would apply to, to a culture like the first century Jew. But I think there's a little bit more going on here. And it goes back to that criticism that Jesus is having against Against the Jewish leaders. Turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 34. You might be saying in your head, man, we spend a lot of time in the Old Testament. We're spending a lot of time understanding the scriptures and that this book is a full story from beginning to end. Ezekiel 34, listen to this. Listen to this prophecy. Have you ever read through Ezekiel? Raise your hand if you read through Ezekiel. Anybody been creeped out by reading through Ezekiel? Continue to keep your hand up because if you're not, it's, you're lying because Ezekiel is a weird book. There's some crazy stuff going on in there. But let's look at this. Ezekiel 34, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? These are all questions. You eat the fat, you clothe yourself with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with forth 
force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And they became, what? Food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered all over the mountains and on the, every high hill. My sheep were scattered all over the face of the earth with none to search or seek them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my sheep have become a prey and my sheep have, what? Become food for all the wild beasts since there is no shepherd and because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep but the shepherds have fed themselves and not fed my sheep. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding. And the sheep no longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them. For thus says the Lord, Behold, I myself will search for my sheep, and I will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep. And I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered. See, this isn't just a, a, a prophecy to to the people that Ezekiel is like yelling at. This is Jesus looking back in the Old Testament and saying, did you not heed the warning? Pharisees, you are not shepherding your people. You are not searching them out. You are not seeking to unite them in relationship with God. You are just letting them drift and you're letting them become food to the wolves. So yes, They would understand the story of about a sheep and some shepherds, and that would make sense to them, right? But there is a deeper, heavier, bigger hand slapping a group of people saying, listen to what you're doing. Jesus was very good at punching people in the face while he was hugging them. You ever try to do that? Hug somebody and then, like, hit them real hard? Try it on your sons. It's fun. (laughs) So let's get into kind of the why this matters, other than the things that you already know. See, in this room, we're filled with Bible scholars. You guys are good. You understand the scriptures, right? So let's let's put some activity on the things that we know theologically. So what happens is is when you start to believe and read Scripture and and you theologically understand what God is trying to do, you have to put it into practice because then that theology becomes a mission. Theology by itself is a think tank. And think tanks are fun, but they don't go anywhere but thinking. So I want to be able to, for us as a church, put some activity activity on the theology and the belief. We believe that God is the chief shepherd, that he sent his son, Jesus, to die on a cross and be raised again so we could have victory over death. We believe that Jesus seeks us out and wants us to be united in relationship with him. We understand that. We, and once again, we're looking from the Luke perspective and saying, Luke is teaching this, and he's showing this, that Jesus is going, here's what it looks like to be part of the kingdom of God, that every soul matters, every sheep matters. But what does that mean for us? What's the mission of the disciple? What's the mission of the disciple? See, the mission of the disciple is to love people and to draw them to God. 
See, I think many times why we struggle with sharing Jesus with other people is we think that we're the ones who actually do the salvation piece of it. You're not. You don't have that ability. You can't save anybody. You can reach out a hand and say, come along and let me tell you the story of what God does. But God does the saving. He releases you from that. But he, what he wants you to do is seek them out and introduce them to who Jesus is. And then you get an opportunity to share Jesus. And that person collides with the reality that Jesus is God of the universe and that his kingdom has arrived. And you can have a relationship with him if you surrender. That's the peace. Don't get stressed out about the final result because that's not on you. The mission of the disciple is to love people, to draw them to God. So you have to ask yourself, how? Well, I have some answers for you. They're my answers, but I guess I'm the one with the microphone. Take out this card. And if you need a pencil to write on, send one of the little minions that are by you to go get one for you. They know where they are. Take out this card. This is called Bible swag. Do you guys know what Bible swag is? So you take your Bible, right? And for decades, we've been filling it with stuff like bulletins, random announcements, things that you don't need, post-it notes. Well, guess what? I'm going to add one more thing to it. I know when I was growing up, my dad had the coolest stuff in his Bible because I could read, like, bulletins from 1985, and it was, like, 1992. It was sweet. I, I mean, it was fun. You could go through it, and there's, like, a history in our Bibles if you still do that. Most of you can't. Well, maybe you don't. Anybody have some good Bible swag? I just want to see. Let me see what you got there. Stop. Don't be critical of the Bible swag. September 9th, 2018. That's solid. I love it. Well, I was here then. So that, okay, but, but September 9th, 2018. Who's got the oldest thing in their Bible? Anybody? We're just going to play a game. What do you got back there? Not, you're a man after my own heart. Casper Alliance. Thank you for visiting today. That's a pe- we should frame this and put this on a bulletin board. That's a piece of history right there. Well, <laughs> that's really good. I like that. So th- this is a, maybe when the, the arrival of smart devices and everybody putting their phones digitally, we stop doing it. But I'm going to add to your Bible swag. I want this to go in your Bible. Now, what are you going to put on it? So on the, on the blank line, I want you to write how. I just want you to write the word how with a question mark. How? Because that's usually what happens in church is there's this guy that stands up in front, and I know I complain about my profession a lot, but the guy stands up front, he tells you all this stuff, and then he walks away without telling you how. And I'm going to give you a few hows, right? So it's very simple. How do I be on the mission of the disciple? Love people, draw them to God. Okay, so how? What are your next steps? Here we go. If you write how, on the other side, you have these lines, lines, right? You should. I just want you to write a person's name. So here's the first step. The next step of the how is find someone. Now, don't overcomplicate that. After you leave this room, there are 60,000 people out there. I'm asking you to name one person and write that on that card. One person. 
Don't overthink it. It's the simplest thing ever. There is a person that you might talk to on a regular basis. There's a person that you might want to talk to on a regular basis. I don't even, there's a person. Find that person. Write that name down. Okay, so now what's the step after that? After I've written that name down, what do you do next? You love that person. I know that's a joke, but you do. Really, you love that person. Okay. So how do I love somebody? So here's the deal. This is, uh, this is, I think, probably the hardest part because, once again, we overcomplicate this. Loving someone is way easier than you think. Sometimes loving someone is as simple as this. Good morning. Think about Luke in the parable. Jesus, the shepherd, scooped up the sheep. And what did he do with it? He put it on his shoulders. The act of physical touch, simply putting your hand out and saying, good morning, shows this incredible thing that you care. When you touch another human being and say hello, it is the most incredible experience that we have as humans to interact and say hi and to say, you matter to me. I'm going to stop everything that I'm doing and say, you matter to me. It's the simplest way to love someone. Now, you can get more exotic, and you can secret Santa someone, buy them gifts. I would encourage you all to love me that way. (laughs) But that simple introduction to say hello is that first step. It is really, really intimidating. (laughs) Okay, so after that. You begin to develop a relationship with someone. And as you develop a relationship with someone, you do the normal things that people who relate to one another do. You say hi on a regular basis. You ask them how you're doing with interest. You maybe interact a little bit deeper. How was work today? How can I help you today? You start to learn their story and who they are and their life. So that name that you're writing down, I want you to say, I'm going to say hello to this person on a regular basis, and then I'm going to get to know them on a regular basis so I know who they are, what they're about, and the things that they love to do. You know what happens? And this is dangerous. This is why the discipleship life, really what it does is you start to walk down this path, and then you stall out. Because what happens is we end up deciding that discipleship looks like us being in community with like-minded people, with people who think the same, talk the same, act the same, look the same, smell the same. Well, teenagers, you're a little off. But we are together in unison. And what that does is it creates, and this is a bad word, it creates a holy huddle. We create this cocoon, this barrier, this bubble where we just kind of sit in it. And we think that we're being discipled because we show up and we sit and we listen to a guy that looks like the Unabomber yelling at us. And you think you're being discipled. You're not. 
You're being encouraged and hopefully inspired and challenged so that when you step out, you begin your discipleship process. So the mission of the disciple is to love other people and to draw them into your relationship with the Lord. It's not to come and sit and listen to a guy speak. It's not to sit and, and study the scriptures like this. It's different than that. And that's why I think discipleship always stalls out because we actually don't go back and need the king anymore. We just need each other and we just sit with each other. But when you have to go introduce yourself or seek out another sheep, you need help. So that name that you put on your card... I want you to write down next to it, say hi to this person. Then after that, third step, repeat. I'm going to repeat that. Repeat. I'm going to say it one more time. Repeat. So you can do two things with repeat. You can go back to that first name and do it again, or you can add a second name. So what does that do? I'm, I'm telling you, it was super simple. But as you do that, and, and you start to seek out souls of the earth, and you begin to engage and talk and show interest and, and, talk, and act as though and live as though and believe as though that that person matters to me, the Lord will do his thing and begin to shape your heart so that you can't stop seeing those people in your life to where you want to love and love and love and care. And that completely transforms the way in which you live. It transforms the way in which you walk. It transforms the way in which the people that you eat dinner with. And that's what I want for our church is that when you wake up in the morning and you drive to your place of work, that you don't just see, I got to put my funnel on and I got to get through this day so I can get back home and close my garage door and turn on Netflix and watch the next season of Arrow. That's not what we're looking for. We're looking for as you drive forward to work, your eyes are open and you're seeing people and you're going, how can I meet that person and introduce them to this God that I serve because the king has arrived and I love him. That's what I want for this church. And that's what I want us to live at. Now, We just got to keep practicing. You're not going to be probably 100% different as you walk out the door today. But we're going to keep practicing. And I want you to keep it simple. I want you to keep it really simple. How do I live the mission of the disciple? I say hi to someone, and I know their name. And then I rinse, and I repeat. And I rinse, and I repeat. Day after day after day, so that the Lord shapes my heart so that I'm allowed to speak a conversation to them and tell them of the good news that the king has arrived. Amen on that? Father in heaven, we are grateful for your ministry in our lives. Lord, we are grateful for who you are. We are grateful that you are the shepherd who is seeking and saving us. We are so thankful that While we are lost and while we are yet sinners, you sent your son, Jesus, to die for us. At our lowest state, Lord, you sent Jesus to die for us so that we could be united in relationship with you. Lord, help us to honor that with our lives. Help us to live that out with our life. Help us to believe that and to say that, God, you are here as we live. We love you, Lord, in your son's name.
Amen.